Today, on Palm Sunday, the sixth Sunday of Lent, we continue our exploration of the fruits of the Spirit and look at the virtue of self-control. We hear from Peter's second letter, written most likely to early Christians spread out across Asia Minor, currently the land of the nation of Turkey. We hear today from the Good News Translation. Let us open our ears, our imaginations, and our hearts, and listen in on their correspondence as if it had been written for us. God's divine power has given us everything. We need to live a truly religious life through our knowledge of the one who called us to share in his own glory and goodness. In this way, God has given us the very great and precious gifts they promised, so that by means of these gifts, you may escape from the destructive moral decay that is in the world and may come to share the divine nature. For this very reason, do your best to add goodness to your faith. To your goodness, add knowledge. To your knowledge, add self-control. To your self-control, add endurance. And to your endurance, add godliness. And to your godliness, add Christian affection. And to your Christian affection, add love. These are the qualities you need, and if you have them in abundance, they will make you active and effective in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if you do not have them, you are so short-sighted that you cannot see and have forgotten that you have been purified from your past sins. So then, my friends, try even harder to make God's call and God's choice of you a permanent experience. If you do so, you will never abandon your faith. In this way, you will be given the full right to enter the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God in Spirit, and for the word of God among us. Thanks be to God. Let us hear now from the Gospel of John, the familiar story of Palm Sunday. And just for a little context, here in chapter 12, Jesus in the previous chapter has raised his good friend Lazarus from the dead. And it's now a week before the Jewish festival of Passover and people are excited about Jesus because they've heard about this raising from the dead that he's done for his friend. The chief priests are gravely concerned about this as it is, has the potential to really pull people away from the established religious tradition. So as we hear this familiar story, let us listen again for the good news. The great crowd that had come to the festival of Passover heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. 
As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified later, they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went to meet him. And the Pharisees then said to one another, You see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The good news of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. And let us pray together. God of all time, of eternity, we gather once again and we join Jesus on that donkey in Jerusalem coming in with all sorts of excitement and hoopla around him. We ask that as we reflect on this story and the virtue of self-control, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts may be truly acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer, and let the people say, Amen. We are continuing again this morning in our Lenten exploration of the fruits of the Spirit, expanding on the virtues laid out toward the end of the letter to the Galatians. And so far we've looked at humility, gentleness, gratitude, generosity and service, and patience. Those are all in our YouTube archive if you want to go back and look at them. This week, the beginning of Holy Week, and as we go into the week, we will look at love on Monday, Thursday, at compassion on Good Friday, and joy next Sunday on Easter morning. Today, on Palm Sunday, we look at self-control. And it's always struck me that in the original words from the letter to the Galatians, that we get these fruits of the Spirit, it leads with love. And then it goes on to list the other virtues, the fruits, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and it ends with self-control. As if self-control is the virtue that keeps them all together, keeps the other virtues from going out of bounds. In the letter from Peter that we just heard Adam read, it says that it is an essential part of our calling as Christians, this self-control, as followers of Jesus. It's essential that we put all these virtues into play and we let them build on one another and support one another. As we just heard, do your best to add goodness to your faith and to your goodness add knowledge and to your knowledge add self-control. And to your self-control, add endurance. And to your endurance, add godliness. And to your godliness, add Christian affection. And to your Christian affection, add love. Peter's letter puts self-control not at the end, but at the center of all those virtues, as if weaving them all together, holding them together in that way. Now, why self-control? Well, for one reason, even virtues can get out of control. You can have a love that is so limitless, so unbounded, where you give so much of it away that you have nothing left for yourself. Or you, you might spend your loving energy on people who are actually damaging for you and you need some limits or some control. 
It's possible to have a joy that leads to an uncontrolled, blind ecstasy that misses a lot of the essential things that are going on around you. You can have so much peacefulness that we might become passive in the face of injustice or other wrongs being committed. A gratitude also that is so pie in the sky that it ignores the wrongs that need correcting. Or a gentleness that allows others to step all over you and never stick up for what is right. You get the idea. Even good things can become a weakness. Self-control is that virtue of regulating ourselves. In the original Greek word, it connotes the idea of mastering our desires and passions with a certain emphasis on our central desires. I like thinking of self-control actually more as self-mastery. How do we keep our passions and desires in check, in their proper proportion? How do we channel, channel them in fruitful, productive, life-affirming ways, not only for the good of ourselves, but for the good of others? It does seem fitting to me today, as on any day, to speak of self-control. As we open the news and hear again of young men with unbridled anger and access to deadly weapons, unleashing them on innocent people, most recently on Asian women in Atlanta, and then this past week on late afternoon grocery shoppers in Boulder. It pains and concerns me to see that our collective emotional response to these atrocities seems to grow more and more numb, that we've become so used to, so inured to mass shootings that they shock us less and less. We need to have some self-control to step up to the challenges. It's important to speak of self-control when we consider legislators who lack the political will to put common sense gun control laws and the self-control to stand up for their constituents and against a domestic terrorist organization that poses as a lobbyist. Or to have some self-control as we see white supremacy once again raising its head in Jim Crow-like restrictive voting laws. We need self-control not just for ourselves, but in how we affect the public conversation and how we affect the collective. Because in this country, we too often have trouble understanding when our self-determination, our self-reliance, our capitalist-driven selfishness needs some controls for the good of the whole. Now, at a personal level, and again, at a public and collective level, self-control is a way we put all those virtues that we want to practice into control, into practice, and into to development. For instance, choosing on an individual level, choosing and practicing gratitude when we might feel like complaining, or practicing humility when we might feel defensive, choosing gentleness when our anger might get the better of us and blow up the whole room and create more unnecessary damage than actually moving things forward. When I think of Jesus on Palm Sunday moving through the crowds on that borrowed donkey, we talk of it as a triumphal entry. The palms waving, the hosannas ringing. It's easy for me to think of him showing all those virtues because rather than on a white steed, he's coming in humbly on a borrowed donkey. And I often picture, as depicted on your 
or on the cover of Order Worship and also the opening slide of this worship, this serene, gentle, kind, and patient person, smiling at the adoring crowds, people that he's come to serve and liberate. But also in Jesus, we sense a certain level of self-control, self-possession. He knows that despite this initial jubilant reception about people being so excited about what he's done with Lazarus, this week is not going to end well. Over the next few days, this same kind of crowd will turn on him. On Thursday, he will celebrate his last supper and be betrayed. On Friday, his closest colleague will deny even knowing him, and he will end up executed, lynched on a cross. And on Saturday, he will lie dead in the cold tomb. And yet here he is, self-possessed, going through the crowds, knowing the purpose that he's fulfilling. Because as we know, and as we will celebrate next Sunday, it doesn't end there, which is part of why we're still telling the story today. Throughout this series, we've been offering questions to you at the end of the order of worship, which are available to you today in the uh, online live streaming page. I believe we also have a link here on the YouTube page that you can click on it. We've also been having Lenten groups on uh, Sunday afternoons and Monday evenings to discuss these questions. And one of the questions we keep asking is, who are people that you see exhibiting this virtue, this virtue that we're discussing? And I think of self-control, I think of people like Jackie Robinson, who knew that he was going to feel angry, that he was going to face discrimination, that people were going to slap him in the face and spike him with their cleats. And yet he projected this kind of serenity on the field and in public, the strength that placed him in an iconography of American heroes and helped to open up this national pastime to people of all ethnicities. I think of someone like Nelson Mandela, who spent 27 years into a forced internal exile and had to determine what kind of person he wanted to become. To quote the old poem Invictus, how he was gonna become the master of his fate, the captain of his soul. And yet, even after those 27 years, he became a beacon of that kind of self-mastery, that kind of inner peace, that kind of brilliance of the human spirit that we all look to again and again. Or even someone like Mother Teresa, who decided to take on vows of poverty and live among the poor, and even when she didn't know where the next penny, the next rupee was coming from, she would continue her work among the sick and the poor and the destitute with some sort of assurance that she knew she was doing what she was created to do for God these kind of calm ships of souls sailing through the storms of life. Now, I realize not all of us are called to that kind of greatness, that kind of international attention. Most of us are not. One of the things I want us to think about at an individual level is that self-control is not all about us as individuals. It's a wonderful book that came out in the last decade called Atomic Habits, it's about what we need to do to, for self-improvement, to 
move on with certain aspects of our life, how to get out of our own way, and little tiny things we can do that have profound changes. And the author, James Clear, writes that when scientists analyze people who appear to have tremendous self-control, it turns out that those individuals aren't all that different from those who are struggling. Instead, disciplined people are better at structuring their lives in a way that does not require heroic willpower and self-control. In other words, they spend less time in tempting situations. The people with the best self-control are typically the ones who need to use it the least, is what Clear says. It's easier to practice self-restraint when you don't have to use it very often. So yes, even though perseverance, grit, and willpower are essential to some sort of success, the best way to improve these qualities is not by wishing you were a more disciplined person, but by creating a more disciplined environment, an environment that allows you to stick to some of your goals, to some of your virtues. I'd also say as people in the recovery community know very well. Self-control can be about trusting your higher power, the one who gave us life and sustains us in that life, even when we're not conscious of it. And it requires seeking out and finding support when we need it, having people around us whom we can rely on when the going gets tough. It requires being clear that it's not not all up to us to maintain our own self-control, that to remember in the bonds of community, there are other people who need our help in maintaining self-control as well. And it requires being clear on what we're focused on, what our purpose is, how God made us, and how we are best suited to magnify God's presence in the world. Ultimately, it's about trusting God. God who wants us to, wants to live through us in our thoughts, our words, our actions, our livelihoods. The God who wants to use us as agents for good in the world to advance all of these virtues, love, joy, peace, justice, gentleness, kindness, generosity, gratitude, compassion. As one of our members put it to me, ultimate self-control is not about trying harder or perhaps even about creating techniques to improve your self-control. Instead, it can be a kind of submission, the kind of giving up, acknowledging that one's best efforts haven't worked, and to just say humbly, God, I can't do this. Only you can. Take this from me or help me through this. The basis of recovery programs is an acknowledgement that you cannot exert self-control on a sustained basis. Only God can do this. And we have to surrender our self-control to God, asking God to do what we might not be able to do for ourselves. And this kind of surrender goes against our very self-reliant nature as Americans, as achievers, as people who want to accomplish things. It takes a kind of humility, patience, also takes being gentle with ourselves and with others. And I would say it takes constantly framing our lives in the context of God, the only one who is fully in control, to even start each day with the prayer and the understanding like the prophet, here I am, God, and how do you want to use me for your good? How do you want to work through the gifts and the talents and the virtues that you have given me to 
create greater good in this world of yours. And to remember always that the power of God working in us and through us can do far more than we can possibly ask or even imagine. Amen.